I want to, if I was to title this message, I, I suppose I might title it Portraits of a Mother's Love. That sounds grand and glorious, doesn't it? <laughs> what I'd like to do is to go through the scripture, and there are several mothers who they um, stand out, and they don't all stand out necessarily for the best behavior, but there is something in common with all of these mothers. And of course, I am not a mother, but I have a mother. And I have a mother living in my home, and I'm for, which, for whom I am very thankful. But mothers are unique in their position of influence and responsibility. And I want us to note several mothers today in Scripture, beginning back in Genesis. Portraits of a mother's love. Mothers love their children. Mothers are very defensive of their children, very protective. Um, Sometimes they'll do that to a fault. Not only human mothers, but the Bible also gives us examples even in nature. It says there in Proverbs, Let a bear robbed of her whelps meet a man rather than a fool in his folly. Of course, if you know anything about bears, when mother bears have baby bears, There's one place you don't want to be, and that's between the mother bear and the baby bear. And mother bears can be ferocious in their their defense of their young. Mothers don't need to be ferocious today, but um, mothers are very protective, nurturing. Of course, God has given them that in their makeup. Genesis chapter 27, an interesting story of a mother who is very concerned about her son. This is the story of Rebecca. Now, she had had twins, Jacob and Esau, and they were both grown. They were grown men at this time. I'm not exactly sure of the age, except it does say that Esau was about 40 in the previous chapter. So, These weren't little boys. But Isaac was old, says in the first verse of chapter 27, his eyes were dim so that he could not see. And he called Esau his eldest son, and he said unto him, My son, he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold, now I am old, I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver, and thy bow, and go out to the field, and take me some venison, and make me savory meat, such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. Now, you remember this home, a little bit dysfunctional, you might say. There were just two boys, twins. Mama loved Jacob, and Daddy loved Esau. They had their favorites, and it proved to be quite divisive in their household. It was not a healthy thing. But here, it comes to the end of his life. Isaac wants to bless his oldest son. But there's a mother standing in the wings. And we read here, verse 5, And Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. 
And Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison, and make me savory meat, that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock, and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. Thou shalt bring it to thy father, that he may eat, and he may bless thee before his death. Of course, you know the story. Now, when we look at this story, and we look at Rebecca, and we think, what a rascal, a deceiver. No wonder we know where Jacob got it. He came by his deceit naturally. But what was it? What was Rachel doing? I mean, Rebecca doing. This wasn't Rachel. It was Rebecca. Now, God's intent and God's will was accomplished. And what was God's will? God was going to bless Jacob. Jacob was the one through whom the seed was going to come, the Messiah. And Isaac was not going to stand in God's way. And God accomplished His will, even through the deceitfulness of Rebekah. But what was Rebekah doing? Here is Rebekah, and she is not about to let her son miss out on this blessing. And she contrived a way to deceive her husband. It was not it was not done right. I'm not, we are not commending her deceit. But I want you to note her actions. What was she doing? She was trying to position her son in the best way possible to receive something of great value. Now, this message is not, again, condoning her deceitfulness. But what I want you to note is what these mothers do. Turn to Exodus chapter 2. Some of these are going to be good examples of character. There are others who are not good examples of character. But they are expressions of a mother's love. In Exodus chapter 2, Read the story of Moses and his birth. Verse 1, it says, well, actually, let's go back into chapter 1. In chapter 1, the king of Egypt, in verse 15, spake unto the Hebrew midwives, which the name of the one was Shipra and the name of the other Pua. And he said, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter... Then she shall live. It's the decree of the king. Kill the male babies of the Jews. Let the women live. Of course, they did not follow his command. But in chapter 2, there went a man of the house of Levi and took to, took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit 
what would be done to him or to watch. And then you know the story. Now, what's interesting about this story in Exodus chapter 2 is that it is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents, or by his parents, because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Interesting how that verse is worded. It says, by faith, Moses. But it's not Moses' faith. The grammatical structure of that sentence is speaking about the faith of Moses' parents. In particular, as we read the account given in Exodus chapter 2, we're reading about the faith of Jochebed. Remember, Moses' parents, his mother's name was Jochebed, his father's name was Amram. But there, Moses' mother, by faith, by faith, disobeyed the king's commandment, was not afraid of the consequences and spared her son, protected him, kept him hid for three months. I don't know how you keep a three-month-old baby quiet, but there came a time when she couldn't keep him quiet anymore and she had to get him out of the house. And so what did she do? Well, we know the story. She put him in the ark. So Moses and the ark is a true story. It's just a smaller ark. There were no animals, but she put them there. And where did she put it? In the Nile River. You know anything about the Nile River? That's not where I'd want to put my baby. Now, obviously, she put it along the shore in the region where it wouldn't float off and get snapped up by the Nile crocodiles. But there it was. She protected that child by faith. You were not. No king, no pharaoh, nobody know how was going to kill her son. She protected him. Of course, the Bible commends her for her faith. In Ruth... Ruth chapter 3, book of Ruth. Now, this is a story of a mother-in-law. We'll still give her credit, a mother, but a mother-in-law, Naomi. And, of course, the story of Ruth. Ruth was not a Jew. She was from the land of Moab. She was a Moabitess. But she came back with Naomi. And she converted. She said, your God will be my God, your people will be my people. And she became a Jew, followed, followed the, the teachings of the law and the scriptures there, believed in God. And of course, as we know, ended up in the lineage of David, of course, through whom came Christ. But here in Ruth, I want you to notice the actions of Naomi. Naomi had come back. She'd lost really everything. They had moved with her husband and their two sons to the land of Moab when there was a famine in the land of Israel. They'd stayed there, but then her husband died, and then her two sons, they had had wives, and then both her sons died, and well, what was left for her there? And she heard that there was the famine was over in Israel, so she came back. Ruth decided to stay with Naomi even though Naomi encouraged her to stay with her people, who said, no, I am going to stick with you. Well, she came back, and then in chapter 3, in the first verses of this chapter, 
It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, speaking of Ruth, said unto her, said unto Ruth, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he went with barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until till he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And Ruth said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me I will do. You talk about an unusual set of instructions. How about that? And here's Ruth. She's really a foreigner coming into the land of Israel, completely different culture. But what's Naomi doing? Naomi, as her mother-in-law, a mother figure here, what is Naomi doing? She is positioning her daughter to get married. She says, you know what? You need a good husband. And what did Naomi do? She did everything she knew how to arrange a marriage. And here's Naomi, the matchmaker, so to speak. And of course, God is overseeing all of this, and Ruth ends up marrying Boaz. And of course, as we see in Scripture, she ends up there in the lineage of Christ. But what was Naomi doing? Naomi was looking out for Ruth taking care of her, looking to do the best for her. How could she survive in this land? She wasn't a Jew. How, how could she you know, have rest, as she says, that it would be well with her? In 1 Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and of course, this is probably one of the most popular, I would say, passages. When we think of Mother's Day, we think of Hannah. Hannah, the mother of little Samuel. Of course, we know the story there of a man with two wives and the unfortunate circumstances. But in 1 Samuel chapter 1, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 11, Hannah is there, she's desiring a child, and she vowed a vow to the Lord. And she said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. So she makes this vow. She's praying there in the temple. You know the story. Eli sees her praying. She's not making noise, just moving her lips. He thinks she's drunk. <laughs> But then she explains what she's praying about, and he says, Go in peace, the Lord give you what you desire. And indeed, God did bless her with a son. And what did she do? She had one son. What's she going to do with him? Well, what had she told the Lord that she would do? Well, if we look at verses 27 and 28, when the child was weaned, she took him back, back to the tent back to the tabernacle. And Eli wants to know what she's doing there. He says, I'm, she says, I'm the one that was praying by the altar several years ago. And now she has a little boy. In verse 27, she says, For this child I prayed, 
and the Lord hath given me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent or given him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. That is an amazing passage. You know, would to God it would be that every mother would do the same thing. I don't mean bring them to church and let me change their diaper. No, I don't bring them to me. But what did she do? Of course, she had, he, he, he was out of diapers. He'd been weaned. He was appropriately able to handle himself. But what did this mother do? She says, God, if you will give me a child, I will give him back to you. He is yours. And she did just that. And what a testimony. And what a blessing Samuel was. And we see God greatly using him. But here was a mother, prayed for a child. And when God granted her wish, what did she do? She committed him to the Lord and recognized that he was a gift from God. Because that's what Samuel means, asked of God. Well, let's go on. There are more mothers yet to look at. In 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 4, 2 Kings 4, and I really like this mother. This is a great mom. And this is really, um, you'll just, you'll see. Elisha is the prophet during these days. He is the one who came after Elijah. And he travels through this certain section of town, or section of the country there, the city of Shunem. And in verse 8, it says, It fell on a day that Elijah passed to Shunem, where was a great woman. This had to do with her physician in society, not with her size. Okay, this is a, a very, as a woman of influence. Okay, I don't know, they're probably a wealthy couple or whatever. She was a great woman and she constrained him to eat bread. She said, Please come to our house. We will put you up, we'll feed you. You just got to come over. And so he did. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. It was a standing invitation. Don't you love people like that? Hey, whenever you're coming through town, we want to see you. Make plans to come and see us when you come through town. Very hospitable. Those are great. I always appreciate that when there's people like that. Just are, come on over. And so here she comes and invites him. And so as he comes by, every time he goes by, he would turn there and have a meal with him. Verse 9 says, And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. And let us set for him there a bed and a table, a stool, and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. Hey, this woman wasn't just hospitable. She said, Listen, this guy passes through here regularly. You know what? I, I think he's a prophet. <laughs> That's interesting that she said it that way, but she was correct. Elijah was indeed a prophet. And so she says, let's, you know, he needs a place to stay. Why don't we, pre-? and lo and behold, 
she invented the prophet's chamber. There it was. You've heard of that term used, a prophet's chamber, and this is where we get that term. And so they built a little room on their house specifically for Elisha to stay when he came through. He could refresh himself. Verse 11 says, And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. I'm content. I don't need anything. And here is Elisha. Well, what can I do for you? You've done so much for us. How could we repay you? Can we say something to the king, a captain of the host? Or is there anything we can do? She goes, I'm content. I'm fine. I dwell among my own people. Then she left. And he has this conversation with Gehazi, his servant, and he said, what then is to be done for her? What can we do for this lady? And Gehazi answered and said, verily, she has no children. She's childless, and her husband is quite old. It's getting old. Ah, Elisha says, that's it. He says, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door, and he said, about this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. Wow. Next year about this time, you are going to have a son, a baby boy. And she said, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. If we'd put that in modern English, she says, Don't be kidding me, all right? Don't be joking with me. Well, and the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her according to the time of life. What a treat. What a special thing. Here it was, this lady, her husband's up in years, and I don't know how old she was, but they had no children. Who knows if they tried or if they wanted to, but here's this wonderful gift of life. Verse 18, though, it says, And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. Grown, we don't know how, I mean, it was a young boy. Went out to the reapers. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. I can see this. This is perfect. The dad's out working in the field. He's got a job to do. I mean, he's, every day he goes out and he's doing whatever farmers do. And he's out there plowing. And the, the son, little boy comes out there. And he said, Dad, my head hurts. You just picture this little kid kind of whining. And dad said, He's busy. And so he looks over, and there's a young servant boy. And he says, take the young man and carry him back to the house. You know, take him to his mother. <laughs> go see, kid, go see your mother. It's exactly. I, I, you can see this. Dad's busy. I can't fix you right now. You go, go, go see your mom. Take him back up to the house. So he did. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. So she held him, didn't know what was wrong, he's fussing, he's hurting, his head's hurting, and, and then at noon, the, the little boy just died. Shocking. Verse 21, 
Watch what this mother does. And she went up, laid him on the bed of the man of God, and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, what do you think she's going to tell her husband? Hey, our little boy's dead. You might want to come to the house. No, that's not what she did. She called unto her husband and said, send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses that I may run to the man of God and come again. I need to go find Elisha. And he says, why will you go to him today? It's not the new moon, new moon or the Sabbath. She said, it'll be, it'll be fine. It shall be well. Didn't say a word. Then she saddled an ass and told her servant, drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. Get moving now. Don't worry about the speed limit signs. You get into town. We've got to find Elisha right now. She didn't tell the servant. Why? So she went and came into the man of God to Mount Carmel. <clears throat> and it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her. And say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And so Gehazi did. Runs to meet her. Asked her these questions. And what did she say? Everything's just fine. It is well. When she came to the man of God, to the hill, she caught him by the feet. She ran up to him and grabbed him. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away, and the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. And then verse 28 says, Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And immediately, Elisha realizes what's going on. Here's a woman in desperate grief. But where is she going? She didn't go to her husband. She didn't tell the servant. She says, I am going back to the man of God who promised me a son, and I'm going to find out what is going on. And she got to him and she said, what is going on? I didn't ask for this son. Then he says to Gehazi, gird up thy loins and take my staff in thine hands and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not again. And lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. I, you are coming with me. And he did. And he arose and followed her, and Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and said, The child is not awake. He's not responding. And when Elisha was coming to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child, put his mouth upon his mouth, his eyes upon his eyes, and stretched his hands upon his hands. He stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked to the house to and fro, and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. He called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her, and when she was come in unto him, he said, Take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet, and 
bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. That is some story. And there was a mother whose son died. And you can just, you can just sense the, the urgency. But she didn't go to her husband. This must have been a woman with some, a lot of fortitude, some real nerves of steel. A woman who, well, it says she was a great woman. She got things done. She probably had a lot of, she, was, she probably was very much like the Proverbs 31 woman. She was very active. She suggested to her husband, hey, why don't we do this? She has some great ideas. Let's make a, a room for this prophet. Husband says, sounds like a great idea. She got it done. The man came, he stayed there. What can we do for this woman? And he says, the Lord's going to give you a son. And he did. But then the son dies. And the woman goes and she goes straight to the man of God and said, wait a minute. I didn't ask for this son, and now he's dead. You come with me. He offers to send a servant, and she says, I am not leaving. You are coming with me. I'm not going to let you go. I mean, remember, she had him by the ankles. Okay. And he went back. And God worked a great miracle there. But there was a mother who was not going to quit. She was not going to give up. In 1 Kings chapter 1, now this is back a book, back back in 1 Kings chapter 1, we have the story there of Bathsheba. 1 Kings chapter 1, David is coming to the end of his life. In fact, he's really not that aware of what's going on around him. And one of his sons, Adonijah, has decided that, well, I'm going to be the next king. It's my right. He was an aggressive guy looking for an advantage. And he gathered people around him and he had himself crowned king. Well, the only problem was David had promised Bathsheba that her son Solomon would sit on his throne. But what is she to do? There's already been a son of David crowned king. He's got a general on his side, one of the high priests on his side, and the people are celebrating. And Well, in 1 Kings chapter 1, Bathsheba goes in. In verse 16, she goes before the king. It says David was very old. Bathsheba bowed and did obeisance unto the king. And the king said, What wouldest thou? And she said unto him, My lord, thou swearest by the Lord God, Unto thine handmaid, saying, Assuredly, Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne. And now, behold, Adonijah reigneth. And now, my lord the king, thou knowest it not. And he hath slain oxen and fat cattle and sheep in abundance, and hath called all the sons of the king, and Abiathar the priest, and Joab the captain of the host. But Solomon thy servant hath he not called or not invited. And thou, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are upon thee, that thou shouldst tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise, it shall come to pass, when my lord the king shall sleep with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon shall be counted offenders, and by implication shall be killed. Of course, while she yet talked, Nathan the prophet comes in and he confirms her words. And what did David do? 
he immediately had Solomon anointed king. But here was Bathsheba, a mother, and she was gravely concerned. She said, wait a minute. David promised that Solomon would sit on the throne. And so she went to the king and made the request. Indeed, the course of history, so to speak, was changed at that moment when David crowned Solomon king. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 in the New Testament. Verses 22 through 28. Jesus is there out of the land of Israel, still in that region, the coast of Tyre and Sidon, but he's out of the inland of Israel proper there. And it says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts. So here's a woman who is not a Jew. She's not an Israelite. She's a Canaanite. She came out of the coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Here's a woman who has heard of Jesus, has heard that he has power over demons, that he can heal people that are sick, raise the dead. And by faith, she went and found Jesus. And she explains her situation. My daughter is grievously grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. He ignored her. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away. She won't leave us alone. She keeps crying after us. Send her away. Tell her to be quiet. She's causing a, quite, quite a, a, a ruckus here. But he answered and said to her, he says, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Wow. So here this woman comes. She pleads for help. And he doesn't even give her the time of day. Ignores her. But she doesn't go away. She keeps after. The disciples say, Jesus, send this woman away. So he finally turns around and says to her, I am not sent, but to the lost sheep of Israel. I'm not here for you. Did she leave? Did she go away? No, she didn't. Reminds me of that Shunammite hanging on to the ankles of Elisha. It says, Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Help me. I need help. And even then, Jesus answered and says to her, It is not fitting or it is not appropriate. It is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. Wow. Politically incorrect, insensitive. What's going on here? What is Jesus doing? I mean, this is rude. I mean, how callous can he be? She's begging him, she's worshiping, she's just crying out for help. 
And she saith, Truth, Lord, yes, it is not appropriate to give children's food to the dogs, but yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Ha This woman was not about to be refused. Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now that is referenced elsewhere in Scripture when Jesus talks about how the Jews wouldn't even come to him, yet there were a few in that region who weren't even Jews that came and put their trust in Jesus like this woman did. What a mother. A mother who would not stop until she had Jesus answer her. Of course, we know that the Bible tells us there's not one person that ever came to Jesus that he refused. And this woman is no exception. What was Jesus doing? What was he doing? He was drawing out her as an example of faith, an example of persistent faith that would not quit, that would not give up. You see the love of a mother here. She was not going to be refused. And in the end, her daughter was spared and healed. another passage here, just a few pages over in Matthew chapter 20. It's a little more humorous, if I might say that. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. There's a mother who loves her boys, thinks the world of them. They're just, they're just the tops. You know, they're the best. The cat's meow. The dogs bow wow, whatever you want to say. She just, her boys, she's so proud of them. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. She just had one request. And he said unto her, well, what, what thou? She goes, Lord, I just, I just have, I have one request. Would you just, can I just ask one thing? He said, well, What would you have? She said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one at thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. Couldn't find better boys than these. Jesus, these are my, James and John, these are my boys. I just have one request. When you come into your kingdom, just let them be the ones that sit on your right and your left hand. Do them all proud. You could just see her just so proud of her boys. Jesus answered and said, you have no idea what you're asking. Are you able to drink of the cup that I am able to drink of? Or I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? The boys, they say unto him, sure, we're able. 
Jesus looked at them and said, You shall indeed drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. And when the other ten disciples heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Who do you think you are? What an audacious request! Good grief! James and John, yeah, look at these guys. Who do they think they are? Right hand and left hand. Wow! What a request! And of course, what do you see? A little bickering going on here about who would be greater. But Jesus used the opportunity to teach his disciples a little something, and he called them to him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be the great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be your chief, will be the chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, who can fault the mother of James and John? I mean, what mother does not want her children to succeed? What mother doesn't want to see her sons rise in positions of influence and authority and honor and glory and greatness? Sure, oh, all mothers would want that for their children. Do a mom proud, yeah. And, but what did Jesus do? He used it as an opportunity to teach all of the disciples that greatness is not your position of power. Greatness in the eyes of the Lord is seen in service. And he said, look at me. I'm the example. For I, the Son of Man, I did not come here to be served. I did not come to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. There's greatness There's leadership, there's honor and glory. Not what they'd been thinking. And finally, one other mother. John chapter 19. John 19. And here we are at the cross. Jesus has completed his earthly ministry. It's come to the end of his life. His time has come. And there he is being crucified. In John chapter 19, verses 25 and 26. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother. And his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. You know, we don't know a lot about Mary's life, not much about her upbringing. We do know that she was used by God 
as the one to bring Messiah into the world. Of course, she, she was married to Joseph. We don't know much about Joseph. We don't know how long he lived. You know, he's a carpenter. We know that God spoke to him, and he obeyed God. And he was a man of faith. But that's about all we know about Joseph. We don't know much about Mary. But Mary here, you know, we think of Mary as well. She was the mother of, uh, of Jesus, but he was the son of God. So maybe Mary was different. And so we know, you know, Mary was just like any of mothers here. You remember when they took Jesus to Jerusalem and he was 12 years old, and then they left, went about a day's journey, and they'd lost the son of God. She had no idea where Jesus was. I think every mother in here has experienced that at least one time. Where is, where is so-and-so? And you ever seen a mom panic when she doesn't know where a kid is? It happens all the time at our house. Where's Josiah? Is the pool gate shut? Yes, it's shut. You know, it doesn't latch right now. It's latched. He's not out there. Where is he? I don't know. Well, better find him. Everybody find Josiah. Where is he? Or before Josiah was, where's Jaden? You know, all the way back up to, where's Grayson? Oh, but you know, when a mother loses her child, she gets she gets pretty uh, she can get pretty frantic. She didn't find him pretty quickly. But here was Mary. Mary loved Jesus as her son. Certainly, she came to realize that Jesus also was her savior. But here she was the darkest hour, so to speak, as Jesus is being killed. And remember the prophecy, the sword shall pierce through thine heart, whatever. Here's Mary at the cross there, and she's watching her son die. Of course, Jesus arranges there for John to take care of her. Joseph is evidently out of the picture. They've died. We don't know. We're not told. But here is Mother of Jesus, I'm sure she was one of the women that followed him as he was teaching. There she is, and she is there. It's not a pretty sight. It's a horrific sight. But she is there to the end. Now, call this portraits of a mother's love. Not all of these mothers did the right thing. But all of these mothers wanted the best for their children. Some of them went to wrong lengths to try to position their children to achieve something great. Then I want to close by going back to Matthew Chapter 7. I might pull this into perspective, so to speak. <clears throat> Jesus speaking in Matthew 7, verse 7 says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. What man is there of you? Or By extension, we might say woman. He's talking to fathers here. What mother, what father 
What man is there of whom, if a son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you look at all these examples of these mothers that we've looked at, you say, no, there's not a single mother in those, of all that we looked at that would have done something like that. Not a one. Jesus says, if ye then, being evil, or being sinners, as we are, if you know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? There is a love that surpasses a mother's love, and that's the love that God has for us. But I think that the, the illustration of a mother's love is seen throughout Scripture, and it's a wonderful thing. I'm thankful for my mother's love. I'm thankful for the love that my wife has for our children. But even as wonderful as that is, as endearing as it is, as important as it is, our Heavenly Father's love makes all of our loves pale in comparison. We want to do right by our kids. We want them to succeed. We want to try to position them and help them, you know, go on to greater things, to be successful. But how much more does our Heavenly Father want to give us good things. He says, How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask Him? Thankful for a mother's love. And I think it's a picture, really, of God's love for us. But God's love far exceeds human love. And so let us thank God for mothers. Thank God for the gift of mothers. Like I said, there's little portraits here, these little vignettes, these little stories of these mothers, their love for their children, their desires for their children. You know, sometimes as parents, we don't always make the right decisions. We might want what's best for our kids, but sometimes we'll go about it the wrong way. Not very wise, but God loves us, and His love will never fail. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these examples in Scripture or these mothers who were dedicated to their children, who were concerned about their welfare, many of them so concerned about the spiritual well-being of their children. Lord, thank you for that, the example, the examples that we see. And Lord, may it cause us to reflect upon your love for us Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you that your love never fails. Lord, may we love one another. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.